I really want you to be excited about what we're going to hear this morning and what we've just read. But it's, I don't know about you, but sometimes I see, see or hear people preach and they say, isn't it exciting? Isn't this? Isn't that? And sometimes, I must admit, I sit in the congregation and think, not really. So, so I just pray that the words that come from me will be directly from God and they will excite you. And they will encourage you. Um, so, yeah, just give me this time to listen to what I've got to say and to listen to God as I'm speaking. A few weeks or months ago, sorry, this is a story about you. Um, <laughs> Lisa was driving home from somewhere where, and, and had the girls in the car. And a driver in front of her was veering all across the road, was suddenly braking, then carrying on, then... And I can only imagine that Lisa was slightly worried about this. And I don't want to put words into your mouth, but you must have been quite angry and must have thought, this person must be drunk, or they're on their phone, or... No one's hurt. Or they're just not paying attention. And I could see and I could feel your anger and your frustration when you got home. However, when... So, so you phoned the police, didn't you? Because, you know, like you would do, like any responsible citizen would do, phoned the police and said, look, there's this car, this is a registration number. Um, they're obviously drunk. They're all across the road. They're going to cause an accident. It wasn't until, I think, you... Did you overtake? I think you, they turned off. And Lee saw that it was a real, really elderly old lady. <coughs> so I can just imagine that. Um, no, it was, wasn't my mother. <laughs> she, she wasn't that old. Um, but if you can imagine the scenario, when you catch a glance of who the driver was, you're attitude, your behaviour, your thoughts about this person would change just like that. Now this is what I think Jesus is doing in this sermon that he gives. This is, this is the start of the Sermon on the Mount. Now I, we've heard a lot about the Sermon on the Mount in the past, it's been preached upon, um, so some of you will be very familiar with this um, part of scripture. And this part of scripture is known as the Beatitudes which literally means blessing. So this scripture, it's quite obvious really, because it starts blessed in. So, so it's called the Beatitudes. It's a start, it's, uh, yeah, it literally means blessings. So what Jesus wanted to do at this time was to show the world literally what it meant to be a Christian at that time and in times to come. So, as it was then, as it is now, he wanted to show what it looks like to be a Christian in the world. The world with, it, with its secular, self-indulgent principles that are constantly offered to us. They were constantly offered back then. There, um, nothing, nothing's really changed in that respect. It's a world... That we're with these self-indulgent principles that cause us, even as Christians, 
to grow up, to live fighting and often succumbing to an insular, self-absorbed and self-gratifying existence. So let's run through the scripture. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. So back then, when people or when guys had big ideas, they wouldn't necessarily share them in the cities and the towns. They would go off to the mountain or to the hillside and people would follow. Jesus was... Jesus wasn't um, obviously a rich ruler. He was poor, a poor, lowly carpenter. He was known by... A lot of people at the time, it was probably one of the, um, he was probably at his height of his popularity back then. So he would go off to the hillside and word would quickly spread that he was there um, as some sort of radical revolutionary that people wanted to hear. It's, all, it's not almost like, but imagine if um, Ed Sheeran suddenly turned up at the, at the park or, and just got out his guitar and started playing News would suddenly spread, wouldn't it? And it would spread very quickly, especially with social media. And that place would be filled. It's a similar sort of thing. He was a popular guy at the time. Um, and people were very interested to hear what he had to say. The crowd would have been made up, probably, of peasants, uneducated, living a rugged and humble, simple existence and also followers of Jesus at the time. It says disciples, but I think the disciples were whittled down a bit more um, later after that time. So it would have been followers of Jesus. And this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus would bring would be countercultural to the extreme. He was there to say that society of the time and the times to follow, especially including now, had its thinking, its values, its principles, back to front, upside down, the wrong way round completely. He was there to offer the crowd truth and to say, this is where you're going wrong and I want you to open your eyes to the truth that you're missing and what God has to offer you. I want to show you that your rebellious ways are not bringing you true happiness and contentment. And the same as he said it back then, he will say that again to us today. Jesus describes two kingdoms, a heavenly kingdom and an earthly kingdom. How the values in the heavenly kingdom differ to the extreme from what they were experiencing and what we experience now in the earthly kingdom. <coughs> what rich blessings are in store for following the principles of the heavenly kingdom? So to summarise, what kingdom ethic you subscribe to will determine how you live your life. If you place values in the principles of the heavenly kingdom, then your life will differ considerably than if you've placed value in the principles of the earthly kingdom. Here's a scenario. Have you ever... We well, probably have. Have you ever emptied your dirty washing basket into the washing machine, rammed it all in, go to put it on? Oh no, there's one solitary item at the bottom of the washing basket. What do you do? You pick it out, there's still room in 
Still room in the um, washing machine. Quickly scan over the label, it says 30 degrees. But you're doing a 40 degree wash. <laughs> but you think, oh well, I was meant to bring a prop, but I forgot it. You think, oh well, what's the worst can, that can happen? Then the worst happens. And your t-shirt is in, will barely fit your action man. This is where I was meant to bring a little t-shirt out. Just imagine a little t-shirt. So you've read the label and you thought, well, it's close enough, the clothes will get washed. But you haven't followed the guidelines, you haven't followed the instructions, you haven't received the outcome that you were hoping for. That's why I do my own washing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I did the same with these jeans. <laughs> um, Jesus wants what's best for us. And here, here, he's given us guidelines. They're black and white. It's pretty straightforward. This isn't a parable or a story. This is the Son of God and the Word. The words come directly from Jesus' mouth. So before I try and unpack what we've read, let me just say to you, what, what is mean by blessed or blessed? It means a happiness, a contentment that is unconditional to your circumstances. It's deep-rooted to the core of your being. It's not like a surface, like, you know, it's not that sort of happiness that the world would offer us. It's something more deep and more meaningful. So let's go through the promises and the blessings that Jesus has for us and how, hopefully, we can get them. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does this mean? This, I think, means that you have the recognition that apart from God and the works of God and the death of his son on the cross, you have no hope or chance of reconciling with God. The spiritual poor is not the guy that approaches God with a huge list saying, yeah, but I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. With a look at me attitude. But instead, it's a person who humbly admits, I am spiritually bankrupt. That is, a, that is the guy that is poor in spirit. And he, she adopts a position of humility. C.S. Lewis. <laughs> Oh, I had to get it in somewhere. <laughs> says, I love this though. C.S. Lewis says, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So it's not like degrading, oh, I'm, I'm worthless. I'm it's not that. It's not false humility. It's literally where you, you think good of yourself. That's fine. You know, God wants us to. God wants us to love ourselves. But it's about thinking of others more. Too many times have I, and dare I say it, we, have belittled, looked down upon, abused, slandered, vilified, scoffed at, undervalued, and sneered at others in a bid to make ourselves look better and feel better, or literally because we think we are better. And not only towards non-Christians, but to Christians too. But the problem is, God will have quite a hard time filling those of us who are full of ourselves. Okay? 
God will have a hard time filling those of us that are full of ourselves. There is no place in the Christian life for arrogance or pride. So the second one, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, when I first read this, I thought, well, that just makes sense. Like, if you're mourning something, you know, mourning the loss of a loved one, a relative, you know, if you're mourning something, then sure sure God's going to comfort you. But this isn't what he means. This mourning is a mourning over the sin we commit and how it affects God. (coughs) how it disrupts the relationship between us and God. That it not only offends God, but it hurts God. That should be enough for us to mourn over our sin. It's similar to like when a child lies to you and then lies about lying and is not repentant. It disrupts that relationship, doesn't it? But our comfort then comes in the form of we confess our sin, we say sorry for our sin, and we have a just and righteous God who forgives us. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. So what do we mean by meek? We mean gentle, humble. Again, humble comes up. Mild, modest, peaceful, unassuming. The world would say that the people that inherit the people that would inherit the earth are strong, powerful, rich, assertive, authoritative. But that's not what Jesus says. And being meek doesn't mean being weak. Okay? Being meek doesn't mean being weak. Because when I first heard meek, it, It didn't sound like a very attractive trait to me because I want to be strong and, and dare I say it, manly, if you're allowed to say that anymore. But instead, it better describes strength but under control. So, like you take a lion, a lioness, who picks up her cubs with her teeth. Strength but under control. Or a crocodile that will cradle a little hatchling um, in its huge jaws. Strength, but under control. It's strength, or the way we use our strength, as a blessing. And this can be perfectly reflected in the life of Jesus. How he came to earth humbly, put aside all his rights and privileges for us as a servant. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Have you ever tried to quench your thirst or your hunger with that 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 is unrighteous? Have you ever pursued experiences, conversation, entertainment, with a goal of being filled with that that is unrighteous. I don't know about you, but I've done it countless times. 
even in my Christian life, I experienced a time away that I felt really far from God. And it was the most unfruitful, um, terrible time because my pursuit for happiness, for fulfillment, was in the world. And it didn't work out. Okay? The only thing that will satisfy is the pursuit of what is right in God's eyes. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. What does it mean to be merciful? To be compassionate or kindly, to have compassion or kindly forbearance shown towards an offender, an enemy, or other person in one's power. If someone wrongs you, what do we do? What do you do? As a child, we're taught, don't hit back. Don't fight back. Don't scratch, kick, headbutt, whatever back. Don't snatch back. Don't shout back. Two wrongs don't make a right. Well, we, I, I'm guessing you're, you were brought up with those principles. But then when we're adults, it's completely different, isn't it? It's com- almost the complete opposite. With phrases like an eye for an eye being spouted as just, justification. But not only from our peers and colleagues, but also from the government and world leaders, more worryingly. Donald Trump said... We are the biggest and by far the best in the world. If Iran attacks an American base or any American, we will be sending some of that brand new beautiful equipment to their way. And without hesitation, he tweeted. They attacked us and we hit back. If they attack again, which I would strongly advise them not to do, we will hit them harder than they have ever been hit before. It's great, isn't it? Is there someone that has wronged you? Are you thinking of them now? What does God say? Have mercy on them. Forgive them. Yeah, but God, I really need them to understand. I really need them to be disciplined. Pray for them. God is pretty good at giving discipline. We are not. I can testify to that too. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let me read that again. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Wow, what a promise that is. How do we keep our hearts and minds untainted by the evil influences of this fallen world? What does your, what does my, what does our sensory diet consist of? What do we ingest in the way of entertainment? The temptations are real on a daily, hourly basis. I'm so keen to bring this to you, as from first-hand experience, I know and understand too well how difficult it is to attain and how difficult it is to maintain. I often comment to Lee how hard it is to go through a day without seeing an image of a provocative woman. Obviously, wife is... Excluded. Excluded. Thanks, Ken. Whether it be on a billboard, on the side of a bus, in a newspaper, on all and any form of social media, it's hard. It is hard. 
What steps do we take to guard our hearts against impurity? When was the last time you switched off the TV when something inappropriate came on? This is an area where I feel we are rapidly becoming desensitised to and by. I think even like five years ago, what would have been deemed unacceptable to watch on the TV or hear on the radio is now pretty much prime time viewing. And I'm a firm believer that our eyes are a window to the soul or a gateway to the soul. What you take in, what you ingest, it ends up here. And you don't, that's not something we want. So guys, guard yourself. Do whatever you need to do to guard yourself. Does that mean if we aren't pure, we won't see God? It says, for they will see God. When was the last time you experienced God showing up in a powerful way in your life? When did you last feel his presence? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So just know that's blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. It's relatively easy to keep peace. If there's peace, it's relatively easy to keep it. If there's not peace, it's very hard and takes a lot more effort, energy and humility to make peace. Sometimes you feel some kind of justification to continue a feud with a neighbour or colleague who has done wrong by you. Using phrases such as, they started it, or it wasn't me, A peacemaker goes to extraordinary lengths to end an argument or disagreement. Not A peacemaker isn't someone just ignores a situation or um, an area of turmoil in your life. So what, I, what do I say to you? Or what, does, what would God say to you? Go the extra mile and then keep going until you have done everything in your power to find a resolution. Blessed, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do your friends, colleagues, peers, even know you're a Christian? Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Do we live our faith out in a way so that others can see that we're devout followers of Christ? Or do we avoid the truths with fear of being ridiculed or disliked? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're in good company. I must admit that recently I've felt quite distant from God and find it no coincidence that I got to preach, or I'm getting to preach, on this part of scripture. God has spoken to me 
deeply and profoundly just in my preparation. And my prayer for you guys is that God will speak to you now and throughout the coming week. God doesn't choose to be distant from us. God doesn't want to be distant from us. We choose it. We think we know best. We disobey. We rebel. So the solution, not I must try harder, but I must invest more. I must invest my heart. And if these are the words from the true living God, then this investment will return, not one or two percent, not ten, twenty, a hundred thousand percent, but unlimited, infinite, and limitless blessings and eternal life. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be blessed? Do you want a deep-rooted happiness and contentment that is not conditioned by your circumstances? Do you want what we've read? Do you want the kingdom of heaven? Do you want to be comforted? Do you want to inherit the earth? Do you want to be filled? Do you want to receive mercy? The gifts just go on and on. The blessings just go on and on. And Jesus makes it quite clear how he wants us to be blessed and what we need to do to receive those blessings. Do you want to see God? Do you want to be called children of God?